This is the Edify Podcast for the servant. Last episode, we talked about the recency and how quickly we should not appoint uh, an elder. Uh, that he needs to have proven himself doesn't necessarily have to be a deacon per se uh, but there needs to be some things about him he doesn't need to be recently added to the local congregation uh, last episode we talked about you know that there are elders here or there are men here at Piedmont Road who were elders at previous congregations but they've only been with us for a year so they don't know the whole church the church here uh, too many people to get to know within a year's time like truly get to know one another Let's ask two key questions when we're talking about this, about arrogance, about conceit, and is it, is it too early for a man? Uh, and especially when it comes to arrogant, you know, the thing is he's not to be an arrogant person. So to make the pursuit of um, pastoral humility uh, in, a, in a tangible way, we can hold it, we can see it, we can say, yes, this person's proud of this person isn't. Um, there, there's two, two particular let's use the word manifestations uh, of humility that are essential when it comes to the shepherd elders. Number one, does he think with sober judgment? So the question is not only about sober judgment or wisdom in general, which, you know, that's that's vital and it's key. Uh, and we're called to sober-mindedness, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2. Um, and we're going to get to this a little bit later. But, but especially in about self-assessment, uh, Romans twelve three says, "By grace, Paul said, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. You know, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. So, is this man self-deprecating? Is he willing and ready to admit his faults? Is he regularly um, angling with words to build himself up in other people's minds? I mean, what's what's consistent with this guy?" You know, does does he give plain evidence of thinking himself more highly than he ought to think? If he does, then he's not the man for the job. You know, that's that's the thing. Uh, with when it comes to an elder, it, and ever all of us are to be sober minded. Let's let's put it in terms of of sobriety when it comes to alcohol. If this is a person who frequents the bottle, if this is a person who comes to worship and you can smell the the booze on his lips, do you think that you would in any way kind of well, maybe he's maybe he's ready for the eldership. Well, no, no, he's not. And biblically speaking, you you can't be intoxicated with alcohol and be sober at the same time. The first thing, and this and this is coming from a, a law enforcement background, a scientifically proven background, especially here in the state of Georgia, what the law allows based off of scientific fact. The first thing that goes when you start drinking alcohol is your cognitive decision maker. Okay. And if you apply just two drops of, of, of alcohol on the tongue, it begins to alter uh, the state of your sobriety on some level. And here in the state of Georgia says, well, you, you can drive as long as you are 0.08% uh, drunk. If your body is only, the, you know, if you, if you get to this, this eight number, then, then you can't drive. You're too drunk to drive. Now, we'll allow you to drive, but if you get in a wreck and your blood alcohol content is 0.3, then we're going to charge you for DUI. So even the, I mean, the state isn't the one who tells us what is drunk and what isn't drunk. We know that. But you're not going to, you're not going to put a person in, in, uh, behind the wheel who's been drinking. 
Well, why would you put a person who exhibits and manifests and shows that he's not sober-minded when he thinks of himself? He's, he's, he's not a humble person. He's, he's drunk with himself. Don't put him behind the church's wheel. So number one, the first question that we need to ask is, does he think with sober judgment concerning himself? Is he a humble person? Does he admit his faults? Or is he too good? Is he just too good and, and the super Christian and doesn't, doesn't ever have any kind of prayer requests or anything like that? The second question we need to ask is, does he count others more significant than himself? And this is a little bit different, but it needs to be asked. Paul writes to all Christians in Philippians 2, uh, verses three through four, and he and he 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 sends a charge, the that that's really uh, especially pressing for church leaders. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let not each of you look only to his own interest, but also into the interests of others. So, counting others more significant than ourselves cuts to the heart of this pastoral calling and and office, if you will as workers for the church, and workers for the church's joy, uh, and to the heart of the faith as well. But Jesus himself, the great shepherd, and he's the great overseer of our souls, 1 Peter 2.25, this is the—this this is—maybe maybe this is the, the picture of a humble leader who took note of, looked to, uh, and gave himself for the ultimate interest of others— uh, Philippians two five through eight shows us that, but 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 the pastoral labor never eclipses or replaces the perfect humility of Christ, and it says, "Who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death death on the cross," which is verse eight. But it does seek to echo his humility, and so point to it on our daily efforts. So, does a person in humility count others more significant? Uh, there, there are people who will take the humble road because it makes them look good. So the 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 person who counts others more significant than themselves for the sake of notoriety. Oh, they're just a humble Joe. Oh, they're this. He's the most humble person. He won't let you serve him. He's always got to serve you. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. The person who does not allow you to serve your part and doesn't allow you to help another person, that's that's pride. I remember probably a couple of years ago, uh, somebody said something to me one time uh, about, about allowing people to serve me. I, I preach. I'm pulpit minister. That's what I do. I help people. Uh, I want to be like Jesus. I want to um, take the Lord's route when it comes to this world. It's it's the most promising, the most blessed. And so for me to to serve people all the time, I used to not want people to serve me because I wanted to outdo them. I and mean, we're, we're told to outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Paul told us this, told the church at Rome this. But what somebody told me one time is, Jake, you're robbing other people from serving you. You're robbing other people from their ministry. You're robbing other people from taking, uh, from receiving a blessing and receiving honor. And they think it's a great thing to serve you because you serve all the time. So that took me down a rung. Probably was not pride per se, but I just thought, no, I don't, I don't want to be the squeaky wheel. I want to help other people. But what it does actually 
is it is it lets you take off the preacher preacher robes, if you will. It lets you get off the pedestal that the brethren put you on. And when you sit down and people come to you and they say, how can we help you? If you just say, oh, I'm good, brother or sister, have a good day. Uh, how can I help you? I know you got troubles. Tell me about your troubles. When you do that, you're you're isolating yourself. You're separating yourself from other people. You, you're acting as though that you've got it all figured out and they don't. But when you sit down and say, you know what, I'm struggling in this way. Uh, if you were to sit down and say, you know what, um, uh, I'm I'm having a hard time with this right here, or this has been bothering me for seven years now. This this has been going on for here. Or what would you say to somebody who who's going through what I'm going through? When you give that to other people, you have no idea how good that is for you and for them. And, and there's an eye to eye moment. It's going to be great for your ministry and especially as elders. When you sit down and you're willing to have conversations with people and be real with people and be vulnerable with people to say, hey, I know I know that you're hurting, and this is why I know, because I heard in the same way X number of days, years, months ago, whatever. Be real with people. So let's ask this question. How do I humble myself? And, and before we put a, put a cap on this, this not a novice or arrogant um, thought when it comes to the eldership, Case in point, how do we humble ourselves? It would be helpful for all church members, preachers, all those who serve in ministry, even even longtime elders, to ask this question: How do I humble myself? I want to be hum- I want to be more humble. God's word clearly commands humility, and it condemns pride. So in Christ, we genuinely want to be more humble. So how do we do that? Well. With this question in mind, um, if you if you go to the Bible's references to self-humbling, you look at the term humble yourself, or he humbled himself or herself, or they humbled themselves, um, there there's there's there is a second chronicles, if you if you go through and look, uh, the the theme is is thick there of when it comes to humility, but it, but it also extends back even to Exodus. And then it and then it goes forward even into the New Testament. Um, what I can find and what you can find, if we do if we do this digging into the humbling of ourselves, um, you you can't just up and humble yourself, okay? Um, it, it's not something that you can go to the drawer and pull out, uh, um, you know, a pill or a book or a thought and say, "I'm ready to humble myself." One, two, three, here I go. Self-humbling is how, well, when studying the specific texts in the Bible, and especially in Second Chronicles, um, the, the, the text about the, that, that self-humbling situation is how responsive to God real um, self-humbling must be. God is the author of our humility. Jake's not, okay? He, he takes the first step. So the context for the biblical command to humble yourself is never bright, it's not sunny, it's not carefree days. It's always conflict and discomfort and suffering and pain and chaos. First, God's humbling hand descends. He takes the initiative. Then comes the question, now will you humble yourself? Will you welcome and receive his uncomfortable discipline, his painful work? Or do you even try or, or or do you explain it away? Do you kick back against it? Do you, you know, use an old term, do you kick against the pricks? Paul, it's hard to do that. Humbling ourselves is not something that we we decide to do in our spare time 
or for self-improvement in just a few simple steps. If you'll do X, Y, and Z, you'll be humbled today and be on your way to a brighter future. No, humility is a work of God, and his hand does the humbling. Then he gives us the dignity of acknowledging and welcoming his work in humbling ourselves. And you would say, well, I'm not, I'm not a proud person. Well, you sound kind of proud about that. <laughs> you know, and the more proud we become or the, the more, the more uh, hungry we become for any kind of exaltation or stacking the roster of ourself, the, the, the more we're, we're, we're going to happen, the more we're going to welcome a day that that's going to happen where we're going to be humbled. I tell Paul, we were talking about folks the other day, about folks placing membership here and and we've had an insurgence lately, and we're thankful. But, you know, there's been people here who've walked in here and said, you know what, we love this place, but this place isn't for us per se. Well, that's fine. Piedmont Road is going to serve as, as a vessel uh, and a congregation to help people through seasons of life, okay, whether that's one day of a season or whether that's whether that's 100 years, okay. What I mean is, is if somebody folks, some, some folks come in here and they look at us and they say, you know what, we like it, but we, we want to go to this other place because they offer X, Y, Z. Good. Go there. Grow there. Go and grow. That's, that's what I want. And Paul and I were having this conversation. If we get upset about the fact that somebody doesn't place membership with us and, and they went to another congregation or, or, or they, they feel like another place is more for them, I don't want to be humbled. <laughs> I don't want to say, well, you know what? Boo on you, and you're not welcome back here. Ha, ha, ha. And you're not, you're not good enough to play with us. If that's the kind of stealing sheep and, and, and stacking the roster mentality that I have, I'm going to be humbled. And I remember telling Paul this. <laughs> I don't want to be humbled. I, I want to just say, hey, you know what? God bless you in your efforts, and God bless us. Number one, God doesn't need us to have a big church at Piedmont Road. Do we have one? Sure, we've got a we've got a, we've got full building, okay? But that's but that's that's uh that's not something of clout or boast. That's just that's just where it is right now. Who knows what it'll be in ten in ten days? Who knows what it'll be in ten years? God does. God gives the increase. That's all we care about. That's that's all we care about. So may God give us humble people and especially humble pastors. When when God does this this disciplining, and, and he will do this. If you want to sit down and just read the Word and look into the mirror, into the perfect law of liberty, you'll be humbled by just reading the Word. I have no doubt. But a lot of this comes from from suffering and pain and conflict and, and, and hard times, and there's times that we don't want and we don't welcome. But, you know, that's where we do a lot of growing is, is during the hard times, when, when, when things have been peeled back to the bare minimum. So when God does this, this this humbling of men, um, may 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 He do that with our eldership. May He do that with the men that are there. That that they are humble people, for the sake of humility, not for the sake of pride or self gain. Humble elders love the scriptures, and they they love the sound, uh, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy six and three. Uh, they they receive their 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 office, if you will, their their role as under shepherds. They're they're gladly embracing their role under the authority of their of their chief. Humbled elders, pastors, shepherds, they love preaching uh not themselves, but but they love preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Second Corinthians five and four and five. 
these humbled men seek to give the benefit of the doubt and, and expect the best. They don't assume the worst. That First Corinthians 13, love believes all things. They need to believe the best in people, uh, and especially for members of their own flock. They, they don't let cynicism, they don't let bitterness toward the, their own congregation develop uh, and, and fear and, and, and pain and all the things that can fester in their hearts. They, they have a kind of gentleness of spirit and no less zeal uh, for God's honor. Uh, and that keeps them from being that keeps them from fear of being wrong, uh, and therefore feeling a constant need to self protect. Just just be God's men and let Him worry about the rest. You know, humble pastors are transparent rather than evasive. They're they're authentic in the best of senses. They're not superficial. Uh, they're not defensive, but they're eager to learn. They're eager to grow. They're 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 ready to improve. The humble pastors learn to listen at times for for. Um, you know, at times their former selves, they, they would have rushed to talk, they would have rushed to speak up, and it takes courage. Um, it really does to, to just sit and, and stay silent and know that God's going to take care of this, and it doesn't require me to get up to bat immediately. Um, th- these, are the, these are the kind of men that they're not inclined to absorb others' attentions. They're, they're more interested in hearing from others than telling others, and especially about themselves. If we could sum it up in one word, uh, what one attribute we need most in the pastorate today, as in every generation, uh, few would come close to humility. So may God give us and give you, give me, and his kingdom humble shepherds.